Chapter 19 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rucker, November 13, 2021, Westford, Massachusetts. Consuelo by Georges Sand. Chapter 19. When Anzaletto awoke the following morning, he experienced a reverse of the jealousy with which Count Zostiniani had inspired him. A thousand opposing sentiments divided his soul. First, that other jealousy which the genius and success of Consuelo had awakened in his bosom. This sank the deeper in his breast in proportion as he measured the triumph of his betrothed with what in his blighted ambition he was pleased to call his downfall. Again, the mortification of being supplanted in reality as he was already thought to be with her, now so triumphant and powerful, and of whom the preceding evening he was so pleased to believe himself the only lover. These two feelings possessed him by turns, and he knew not to which to give himself up in order to extinguish the other. He had to choose between two things, either to remove Consuelo from the Count and from Venice, and along with her to seek his fortune elsewhere, or to abandon her to his rival and take his chances alone in some distant country with no drawback to his success. In this poignant uncertainty, in place of endeavoring to recover his calmness with his true friend, he returned to Korea and plunged back into the storm. She added fuel to the flame by showing him in even stronger colors than he had imagined the preceding night all the disadvantages of his position. No person, said she, is a prophet in his own country. This is a bad place for one who has been seen running about in rags, and where everyone may say, and God knows the nobles are sufficiently given to boast of the protection, even when it is only imaginary, which they accord to artists. I was his protector. I saw his hidden talent. It was I who recommended and gave him a preference. You have lived too much in the public here, my poor Anzaletto. Your charming features struck those who knew not what was in you. You astonished people who have seen you in their gondolas singing the stanzas of Tazo or doing their errands to gain the means of support. The plain Consuelo, leading a retired life, appears here as a strange wonder. Besides, she is a Spaniard and uses not the Venetian accent and her agreeable though somewhat singular pronunciation, would please them, even were it detestable. It is something of which their ears are not tired. Your good looks have contributed mainly to the slight success you obtained in the first act, but now people are accustomed to you. Do not forget to mention that the handsome scratch you gave me beneath the eye, and for which I ought never to pardon you, will go far to lessen the last-mentioned trifling advantage. On the contrary, it is a decided advantage in the eyes of women, but frivolous in those of men. You will reign in the saloons with the one party. Without the other, you would fall in the theater. But how can you expect to occupy their attention 
when it is a woman who disputes it with you, a woman who not only enthralls the serious dilettante, but who intoxicates by her grace and the magic of her sex all those who are not connoisseurs in music. To struggle with me, how much talent did Stefanini, Savario, all indeed who have appeared with me on the stage require? In that case, dear Correa, I should run as much risk in appearing with you as with Consuelo. If I were inclined to follow you to France, you have given me fair warning. These words, which escaped from Anzaletto, were as a ray of light to Correa. She saw that she had hit the mark more nearly than she had supposed, for the thought of leaving Venice had already dawned in the mind of her lover. The instant she conceived the idea of bearing him away with her, she spared no pains to make him relish the project. She humbled herself as much as she could, and even had the modesty to place herself below her rival. She admitted that she was not a great singer, nor yet sufficiently beautiful to attract the public. And as all this was even truer than she cared to think, and as Anzaletto was very well aware of it, having never been deceived as to the immense superiority of Consuelo. She had little trouble in persuading him. Their partnership and flight were almost determined upon at this interview, and Anzoletto thought seriously of it, although he always kept a loophole for escape if necessary. Correa, seeing his uncertainty, urged him to continue to appear in hopes of better success, but quite sure that these unlucky trials would disgust him altogether with Venice and with Consuelo. On leaving his fair advisor, he went to seek his only real friend, Consuelo. He felt an unconquerable desire to see her again. It was the first time he had begun and ended a day without receiving her chaste kiss upon his brow. But as, after what had passed with Correa, he would have blushed for his own instability, he persuaded himself that he only went to receive assurance of her unfaithfulness and to undeceive himself as to his love for her. Doubtless, said he, the Count has taken advantage of my absence to urge his suit, and who can tell how far he has been successful? This idea caused a cold perspiration to stand upon his forehead, and the thought of Consuelo's perfidy so affected him that he hastened his steps, thinking to find her bathed in tears. Then an inward voice, which drowned every other, told him that he wronged a being so pure and noble, and he slackened his pace reflecting on his own odious conduct, his selfish ambition, and the deceit and treachery with which he had stored his life and conscience, and which must inevitably bear their bitter fruit. He found Consuelo in her black dress, seated beside her table, pure, serene, and tranquil, as he had ever beheld her. She came forward to meet him with the same affection as ever, and questioned him with anxiety, but without distrust or reproach, as to the employment of his time during his absence. I have been suffering, said he, with the very deep despondency which his inward humiliation had occasioned. I hurt my head against the decoration, and although I told you it was nothing, it so confused me that I was obliged to leave the Palazzo Zustiniani last night, lest I should faint and have to keep my bed all morning. 
Oh, heavens, said Consuelo, kissing the wound inflicted by her rival. You have suffered and still suffer. No, the rest has done me good. Do not think of it. But tell me how you managed to get home all alone last night. Alone? Oh, no. The Count brought me in his gondola. Ah, I was sure of it, cried Anzaletto in a constrained voice. And of course he said a great many flattering things to you in this interview. What could he say that he had not already said a hundred times? He would spoil me and make me vain were I not on my guard against him. Beside, we were not alone. My good master accompanied me. Ah, my excellent friend and master. What master? What excellent friend? said Anzaletto, once more reassured and already absent and thoughtful. Why, Porporo, to be sure. What are you thinking of? I am thinking, dear Consuelo, of your triumph yesterday evening. Are you not thinking of it, too? Less than of yours, I assure you. Mine? Ah, do not jest, dear friend. Mine was so meager that it rather resembled the downfall. Consuelo grew pale with surprise. Notwithstanding her remarkable self-possession, she had not the necessary coolness to appreciate the different degree of applause bestowed on herself and her lover. There is, in this sort of ovation, an intoxication which the wisest artists cannot shun, and which deceives some so widely as to induce them to look upon the support of a cabal as a public triumph. But instead of exaggerating the delight of her audience, Consuelo, terrified by so frightful a noise, had hardly understood it, and could not distinguish the preference awarded to her over Anseletto. She artlessly chid him for his unreasonable expectations, and seeing that she could not persuade him nor conquer his sadness, she gently reproached him with being too desirous of glory, and with attaching too much value to the favor of the world. I have always told you, said she, that you prefer the results of art to art itself. When we do our best, when we feel that we have done well, it seems to me that a little more or less of approbation can neither add to nor diminish our inward satisfaction. Recollect what Popora said to me the first time I sang at the Zustiniani Palace. Whoever is penetrated with a true love of his art need fear nothing. You and your purpura, interrupted Anzaletto with some heat, can very easily satisfy yourselves with these fine maxims. Nothing is so easy as to philosophize on the evils of life when you know only its sweeps. Purpura, though poor and oppressed, has an illustrious name. He has gathered so many laurels that his old head may whiten peaceably under their shade. You, who feel yourself invincible, are inaccessible to fear. At the first leap, you raise yourself to the highest round of the ladder, and blame those who have no legs for their dizziness. That is not only uncharitable, Consuelo, but decidedly unjust. And besides, your argument is not applicable to me. You say that we should despise the approbation of the public when we have our own, but if I possess not that inward testimony of having done well, what then? Can you not see that I am horribly dissatisfied with myself? Did you not hear that I was detestable? 
Did you not hear that I sang miserably? No, for it was not so. You neither exceeded nor fell short of yourself. The emotion which you experienced hardly at all diminished your powers. Besides, it was quickly dissipated, and those things which you knew well, you expressed well. And those things which I did not know, said Anzaletto, fixing upon her his large black eyes, rendered hollow by fatigue and anxiety. She sighed and remained for an instant silent. Then she said, embracing him, Those which you do not know, you must learn. If you had been only willing to study between the rehearsals, as I recommended, but this is not the time to reproach you. On the contrary, it is the time to repair all. Come, let us take only two hours a day, and you will see how soon we shall triumph over the obstacles which oppose your success. Will it then be the work of one day? It will be the work of some months at most. And I play tomorrow. I continue to appear before an audience which judges me by my defects much more than by my good qualities, but which will quickly perceive your progress. Who knows? If they take an aversion to me, they have proved the contrary. So then you think they have been indulgent to me? Well, yes, they have, my friend. In those places where you were weak, they were kind. Where you were strong, they did you justice. But in the meanwhile, I shall have a miserable engagement. The Count is magnificent in all his dealings, and does not spare money. Besides, has he not offered me more than enough to maintain us both in opulence? Ah, there it is. I shall live by your success. I have lived long enough by your favor. But it is not money that I refer to. If he does engage me at a small salary, that is of little consequence, but he will engage me for the second and third parts. He has no other primo uomo, first man, as prima donna is first lady, at hand. For a long time past, he has relied and depended upon you. Besides, he is all in your favor. You said he would be opposed to our marriage. Far from that, he seems to wish it and often ask me when I will invite him to my wedding. Ah, very good, very good indeed. Many thanks, Signor Count. What do you mean by that? Nothing. Only, Consuelo, you were very wrong not to prevent my appearance until my faults, with which you were so well acquainted, were corrected by more mature study. For, I repeat it, you knew my faults. Did I not speak openly to you? Have I not often warned you? But you always told me that the public did not understand, and when I saw the success you had at the Count's Palace the first time you sang there, I thought that the people of fashion knew more than the vulgar public. I thought that your good qualities would be more striking than your faults, and it has been so. It seems to me with one as well as with the other. In fact, thought Anzaletto, she speaks truly, and if I could put off my engagement, but then I run the risk of seeing a tenor take my place who would not give it back to me. Let me see, said he, after taking several turns up and down the apartment. What are my faults? What I have often told you, 
too much boldness and not sufficient preparation, an energy more feverish than sustained. Dramatic effects, which are the work of the will rather than of emotion, you are not imbued with the feeling of your part as a whole. You learned it by fragments. You saw in it only a succession of pieces more or less brilliant, and you did not seize either the gradation or the development or the aggregate. In your anxiety to display your fine voice and the facility which you possess in certain respects, you exhibit the whole extent of your powers almost on your entrance upon the scene. On the slightest opportunity you endeavored after effect, and all your effects were alike. At the end of the first act they knew you, I knew you by heart, but they did not know that that was all, and still expected something prodigious for the end. That something was not in you. Your emotion was expended, and your voice no longer had the same freshness. You felt this. You forced both the one and the other. The audience felt it likewise, and to your great surprise remained unmoved when you considered yourself most pathetic. The reason was that at that moment they did not see the artist inspired by passion, but the actor laboring for success. And how do others do? cried Angeletto, stamping his foot. Have I not heard them all? all who have been applauded at Venice during the last ten years? Did not old Stefanini scream when his voice failed him, and yet they applauded him with transport? It is true, and I do not understand how the people could be so deceived. Without doubt, they recollected the time when he had more power and did not wish to hurt his feelings in his old age. And Korea, too, that idol whom you overthrew, did not she strain after effect? Did she not make efforts which were painful to see and to hear? Was she really excited when they applauded her to the skies? It was because I considered her method factitious. Her effects detestable, her playing as well as her singing destitute of taste and grandeur, that I presented myself so calmly upon the stage, persuaded, like you, that the public knew little about it. Ah, said Anzaletto with a deep sigh, there you put your finger upon my wound, my poor Consuelo. How is that, my well-beloved? How is that? Do you ask me? We deceived ourselves, Consuelo. The public does know. The heart teaches what ignorance conceals. It is an overgrown child who requires to be amused and excited. It is contented with what is given it, but show it something better, and then it compares and understands. Korea could charm it last week, although she sung false and wanted breath. You appear, and Korea is lost, effaced, buried. Let her reappear, and she would be hissed. If I had made my debut after her, I should have had complete success, as I had at the Count's the first time I sang after her. But beside you, I was eclipsed. It ought to be so, and it always will be so. The public had a taste for tinsel, and mistook paste for precious stones. It was dazzled by it. It is shown a diamond of the first water, and already it cannot understand how it could have been so grossly deceived.
It can no longer endure false diamonds and holds them at their true value. This is my misfortune, Consuelo, that I was brought in comparison with you, like a piece of Venetian glass beside a pearl of the fathomless ocean. Consuelo did not understand all the bitterness and truth contained in these observations. She placed them to the account of her betrothed's affection and answered to what she considered soft flatteries only by smiles and caresses. She pretended that he would surpass her if he would only take pains and raised his courage by persuading him that nothing was easier than to sing like her. In this she was perfectly sincere, having never been retarded by any difficulty, and not knowing that labor itself is the first of obstacles for him who has not the love of it united with perseverance. End of chapter 19